I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications. Because he has inclined his ear to me, therefore will I, I will call upon him as long as I live. So begins our psalm for today, Psalm 116. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to that psalm, uh, page 416 in the Pew Bibles or page 486 in the Book of Common Prayer. I am preaching from the New King James, but I think you could probably handle the Book of Common Prayer's Coverdale Psalter. If you would, let me remind you that the phrase calling on the name of the Lord in the Holy Scriptures is actually code for worshiping God. Whenever we see that phrase, particularly the Old Testament, uh, and various modifications of that phrase, almost always that phrase references an actual sacrifice on an altar, a calling on God for salvation and a thanksgiving, an oblation, a sin offering. I mean, there's multiple connections there, but it all has to do with in some sense, a, a fairly formal act of worship. The simple statement at the beginning of our psalm today does not say that I'm going to call on God for favors because he heard me once. Well, hey, this worked one time, let's do it again. It rather states that God has had mercy on me. Therefore, I will worship him all the days of my life. In fact, the emphasis, I believe, could even be understood as God has had mercy on me. Therefore, my entire life will revolve around the throne of God in worship. You see, worship is indeed supposed to be the center of our existence here on earth. It will be the center of everyone's existence for sure, in the new heavens and in the new earth. But the Holy Scriptures make it clear that it should be the center of our existence now, here, today, as we seek to follow the Holy Ghost in the bringing in of the new heavens and the new earth. So as we participate in this great act of God in redeeming His world, doing our part, using our gifts, it is all supposed to revolve around the altar of God, around the throne of God, worshiping Him. The church has always interpreted the Psalter in terms of the incarnate Lord. One commentator notes that the voice in this psalm is that of Christ our Lord. It is he who says, I have loved and I have believed. Loving and believing, that is, are not simply religious requirements laid upon Christians, laid upon the Christian conscience. They are, first of all, characteristics modeled in Christ the Lord. All love and all belief begin in Jesus. Any loving and any believing that we others may accomplish is an inner participation in Christ's loving and Christ's believing. For his loving and his believing form the font of our salvation. He continues, when in Psalm 116, Jesus says, I have loved, the rest of the psalm shows that its special setting is the mystery of his suffering and death endured for the sake of our salvation in loving obedience.
In the first place, Jesus was obedient unto death because of his love for the Father. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandments, so I do, he says in the Gospel of John. In the second place, Jesus humbled himself even to the death of the cross because of his love for us. St. Paul refers to Christ in his letter to the Romans simply as him who loved us. To the Galatians, he refers to him as the one who loved me and gave himself for me. To the Ephesians, St. Paul notes, the self-offering of Jesus was the supreme proof of his love for us. And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. In verses 3 and 4 of the psalm, we see the suffering of Christ in his sacrifice. The pains of hell Excuse me, the pains of death surrounded me, and the pangs of Sheol laid hold upon me. I found trouble and sorrow. We can imagine Christ sweating great drops of blood and saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup from me. He, the, the psalm prefigures the context of the sacrifice of Christ, the crucifixion. The psalm continues in the midst of this pain and suffering. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. Our commentator notes that abruptly and dramatically, the tone of the prayer changes to a hope nearly realized. As though his suffering's supplication had been answered already. Gracious is the Lord and righteous at verse 5. Yes, our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low and he saved me. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Our commentator notes this and so many other psalms testify that the Lord's passion was a sustained act of worship. This and so many other psalms testify that the Lord's passion was a sustained act of worship. He continues, and allow me to quote at length, this interpretation of his death was perfectly obvious to the early Christians who said of Christ that he offered up himself and who spoke of the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all and who described his self-oblation as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. This is the language of the temple and of the sacrificial worship, and we are probably so accustomed to hearing it that we have lost all sense of how terribly strange and improbable it must have sounded when the Christians first began to speak this way of the unjust death inflicted on a just man. This event outsiders would have considered as at least a great tragedy. But for the Christian mind, the death of Jesus was not a mere miscarriage of human justice. It was the supreme act of worship that endowed all mankind with God's justice. Let me say that again, quoting again. The death of Christ, the crucifixion, 
was the supreme act of worship that endowed all mankind with God's justice. It was the single deed of such consummate devotion as to render, render possible humanity's access to God for all time and into eternity. Remember back to that example of Christ's love for us, which I also quoted in this quote, that long quote. Christ has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Christ's loving action was worship. It was the action of worship. It was a sacrifice on the altar. Not the altar in Jerusalem in the temple, but the altar in the heavens, of which the earthly one was but a copy. Christ's supreme sacrifice was carried out in the supreme temple, on the supreme altar. It happened in the heavenly holy of holies. Our response can only be worship and praise and adoration. We do that every Sunday in the Divine Liturgy, where we partake of Christ and his sacrifice. We are to do that every day, morning and evening, at the least, participating in the daily offices by praying the Lord's Prayer if we cannot make it to a service at a church. The crucial element here, however, is that we then live out that worship with a life lived to the glory of God. That we live out that worship by allowing the Holy Spirit to change us, to make us new, to transform us through worship and through prayer. A life of liturgy, sacraments, and prayer. This is what will mold and shape us. We, however, must be open to God's molding and to his shaping. We must be receptive. We must act in obedience to God's direction in his holy scriptures and in the teaching of the church. My friends, come to the table. Participate in Christ in our worship. And then live out that participation with all your being. Amen.